Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Sam Morrell, a guy I like a great deal, a hilarious comedian, really one of my favorite comedians. Thank you. And I've come to know him after the, uh, I mean, I've known you, I think I've known you since 2007 or something like that. It's and, been a while. Um, and uh, I've always, uh, you're somebody that all the comedians always said, uh, hey, watch this guy. He's a great writer. Um, and uh, and it's true, dude. I really do think you're a great performer because Goldman, Goldman has told me many times that some comedians like you, if, if you hear you're a great joke writer, you might think, well, does that mean I suck at performing? <laughs> you know. Yeah, we always take a compliment and spin it into an insult. That's what we all like. You're a good writer, and you're like, so I'm bad at this. It's such a it's such an awful quality. But yeah, no, no, I don't. I I I'm flattered when someone says you're a good writer. I don't I don't take it as an insult. I mean, where do you li- like what? Which part of the thing? I mean, I know it all matters, but but where do you take the most sort of either pride or put the most focus, or or which part of it do you work? the most at that is it is it writing is it performing can you separate them are they one thing absolutely yeah i mean i think the writing is like the gym and then the performing is like the show you know i mean it's you're you can i had someone say to me like well big deal you'll get back on stage it's like riding a bike and i said no man it's first off i I can't ride a bike so that's a horrible uh analogy (laughs) and second off uh you know, it's not because it's like, t- it's like telling, there's a reason there's spring training, you know, you have to get back into shape or stay in shape. So the, the sets and the sets are what keep you in shape, but the writing is really what makes you ready to even do that. Like, it's like almost like, I guess is stretching is a better analogy. Right. No, I think the analogy you want to get is the game. Cause you said writing is like the gym and performing is like the show. Which yeah. I think isn't maybe that clean because maybe not. The show I, is performing. Performing is the show. You mean oh, I, performing I meant, is the I game. meant the show is in like the major leagues, but yeah, the yeah, major yeah. leagues. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, then it is the show. Yes, and you want to get more than your cup of coffee. So, um, you know, you've had such a fascinating career, dude. And you know, you have a podcast. Do you have two podcasts now or one podcast? Well, now? one of them is like we do every once in a while. It's the movie one, but the the. Uh, the podcast I do every week or twice a week is with Stavros that you've been on Pod Don't Lie. We yes. just talk hoops. Pod Don't Lie is great. It's funny and smart and uh, I love it and I loved being uh, a guest. But you have this podcast. We're going to talk a lot about your special and how that came to be, which you put on YouTube and as millions of people have watched it and it really, uh, really was incredibly successful. First of all, it's a great special and then also it, it just you. did a, a, a ton for you. And I, I wonder... Um, do you feel like you've made it as a comedian? And if so, like, what was the moment? And if not, like, what are your ambitions? How do you define that that term? And and don't say I don't think about things like that because nobody doesn't think about that. No, I think about it all the time. I I don't think I, ha- I I'm not where I want to be. I feel like you know I have a career and I'm grateful that I have a career. But uh, you know, no, I don't think I've I've made it to where I even close to where I want to be. You know, what is so in your mind? Like if the kids that you grew up with, you haven't yet shown them that you've made it? I think they think that I probably have a cool life and I, I love my life. But yeah, I, I just have other ambitions. Like I, I think stand-up is one thing, but I want to make TV and I want to I want to do other things as well as just stand-up. But stand-up is the main thing always. But I want to put out a lot. I, I feel like this was my best special and I want to keep putting out better and better specials. That's That's the goal. Whose career do you look at or, 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 or model or think like, well, that's sort of 
something that is it like a modern some is it like the arc Schumer took or is it the 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 arc that Steve Martin took like who do you look at and think like well this is sort of and I meant um Amy Schumer not Chuck Schumer because that would be a weird <laughs> switch that'd be a strange uh, flip for you to do but oh uh, man I hate you know what I hate so much is that I saw uh Chris Evans on Bill Maher's show and he was talking about how he's like you know I'm not you know I don't really think I'm educated enough for a career in politics and then every headline is like Chris Evans moles career in politics. <laughs> like every headline is so evil now. But uh, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't think. Um, I don't think Amy. Like I, I respect Amy's career so much, and I, I love Inside Amy Schumer and Trainwreck and everything. But I, I don't think I'm that type of. Like I think she's like Lucille Ball. I think she's like such an amazing actress. Right. Um, I don't think I'm that. I think I'm just kind of me. I think I, I would. It would be more of like either an. I'm working on trying to develop an animated show right now. That's something I'm really, really passionate about. And then uh, if stand up comes back, I'd like to hit the road hard. So I, I don't know if there's one person I really see, but uh, it's tough. I, I think there's little things that I, I like from. I, I love what Bill Burr's career has been, where he's got this animated yeah. show and he's got his stand up career, and, and I think that's that's pretty cool. Right. He he's. He's respected by his peers a tremendous amount, and he has a really dedicated audience that loves him. Yeah, I think that's that's important. And also, I just like I love jokes. I really just think it's not like I see certain people kind of develop this fan base and then kind of they become something else. And I think it's great to always evolve. But I am a little bit fearful of, of you know, the like, well, now you have a duty to be. <laughs> this like voice of the people. And I was kind of like, I'm just, I just write good jokes. And that's, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think it is important to be involved in causes and to be a good person, but I also want to, I want to stay funny. I, I see some people like that almost takes precedent to, to jokes at a certain point. It's like, well, you got to remember what got you here also, you know? Yeah. What your people, like what, who, well, who you are, right? Like the reason I think some people, who are very funny and who are like, I was talking to Judd about this and Judd's hilarious and a, you know, brilliant artist. But I actually think, well, I mean, what he said in the podcast, like, I think he just actually genuinely feels the do it's not performative. It's like, he just feels like he has to do that almost serving the same thing in him that fires up the art. And, and I don't think you can fake that. I think that's either who you are or it's not. That's a you good know what point. I mean? Yeah, that is a good, Judd is a good example of someone who I, I do really believe is a good person. And, and yeah, I, I think, and, right. and I mean, you would say that even if you didn't hope to be cast in his stuff, right? I mean, you would oh, just I don't, say, I that. don't think I ever will be. I I'm, I'm saying it strictly as I just know him and like him, you know, I'm just fucking right. <laughs> and I hope you heard that second love- part as very sincere. So I get cast. Yes. Good. No, that's why I set you up for that. I tried to give you the little <laughs> set so you could spike it across for when he listens. Uh, it's crucial. Uh, when, when did you, first decide like i want to hear about your 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 life and and i think that yeah people should watch the special but and the thing the special it's you have this great gift as a comedian sam which is you bring people in in a way that feels very you know it's funny there are guys who are just joke guys like jazzelnick or something where you know even when he talks about his father he's not really talking about his father he's just it's all setups for these jokes but you actually kind of bring us into your emotional truth, even as you tell these jokes, but you still keep it a little like, you know, you're not a fully confessional comedian, but so I want to give people some insight into your, into your life and what it actually felt like to grow up the way you did. So like, 
when did you first decide that being funny really mattered to you? Um, I think, you know, I'm the youngest kid in my family. We were a blended family, you know, I have two step siblings who are older and we're just absolute overachievers. And, and I think that was like, well, I'm not going to be smarter than them. That was one. <laughs> so you're finding ways to get attention. I was like, it's not going to be that. Uh, also, it was just a weird thing that kind of just happened. We just were now all living in the same household and, and we didn't really talk about it. We ne- it was never like, okay, now we're, <laughs> it was just like, we're a family now. And I was like, all right, there was never a conversation, you know? So really, th- wait, what do you mean? Go slower on that. How old were you? I, this is fascinating. So probably, you're how old? I was probably seven or eight, I think seven, I think. And you knew that your mom was dating. So like to explain, you knew your no, mom was she dating. Got, she got married to who the dad who raised me, uh, who's an amazing dad. Uh, at, uh, at seven, they met when I was probably three or four. She was a single mom before then. And, uh, right. you know, I, I liked him instantly. I also, you know, it, it's, it's just a weird thing not to talk. We never talked about it. So I would just use humor to break the ice. There would be a lot of like, so you mean he just came with two kids. He came along with two kids. Yeah. And, uh, they were older and they were both very quiet. My brother and sister are very quiet. They don't talk a lot. And my mom and I, and my dad is kind of like a reserved, they're, they're, they listen. They're all listeners. My mom and I are, we, we talk, we're loud and we're talkers and we're, right. you know, so uh, it was a weird pairing at first. And it was like, a, there was just weirdness that I'd notice at first that I think, like I'd have to a- address the discomfort and no one else I felt in the family really addressed the discomfort except me. And then. As a kid doing it, it felt kind of innocent and playful, but that was the only way we really addressed it. So that was, that was my first like jokes, jokes, I think. Where were you? Like where, where'd you grow up? Originally like the Chelsea Flatiron area and then Upper East Side. So you're in New York City and are you as a young kid able to walk around and take the subway and stuff? Are are your parents protective? Like what was it like? They're protective, but yeah, I I did all that. And you know, you take the bus to school every day, you take the, like, yeah, I I was, uh, I was out and about and my mom was so protective because I'm her only biological kid. So, you know, my brother and sister have, uh, they have a mom. That just was, you know, that my, my dad who raised me was divorced from. So they have a mom. And so she wasn't their mom. So that was tense in the house. But then my, that also made my mom so unbelievably overprotective. Like I remember I fell, I smoked too much weed in my friend's house one night. I, yeah. I, yeah. I just fell asleep from smoking too much weed. I shit you not. I wake up with 63 missed calls from my mom. <laughs> 63 and i was just like what like like if if you left 57 i would have been like this can wait you know what i mean like (laughs) clearly this is urgent like i was asleep and she was oh my god she was so mad i mean that that's how she was she would i would be grounded she was always i would come home drunk all the time too young i was i was a bad kid and I, i acted out because my brother and sister seemed perfect to me they my sister went to harvard law you know, my brother right. went to Columbia Law. I'm telling jokes in bars. You know, like I had this black sheep sense of myself and and I just had a low self-esteem. How much older are they? My sister is uh, seven years older and my brother is uh, five years older. Right. So they were like in, in, in high school when you were in, in elementary school or whatever. And yeah, they were, they were older. Like that. So they were around and you were... 
you were watching them and were you able to break them up? Like when you were funny, were you able to get a reaction from absolutely? Everybody? Yeah, absolutely. I think my sister was like, she would kind of roll her eyes like, oh God, he's so like, he's vulgar. He's inappropriate. But she, I think she, yeah. A little, my brother very much so like my have I think him having a younger brother to kind of like mold him having like a young, like it was probably fun for him. And, and we did, I, I'm, I'm still close to my brother, you know? And are they proud of like what you've accomplished? Like did, when you put the special up, did they check in and tell you like, nice job? I don't know. I actually don't remember. I think my brother might've said something. I think he said like, I think he didn't say like good job, but he, uh, he said something like, wow, is that real? Like how many views it got? I think he was, he was shocked. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't think it was like, good job. It was it's like, very, this, this isn't a hoax. <laughs> that's very warm. Uh, that's very sweet. Uh, that's amazing. So, yeah. so no, I'm, no, I'm starting to get the picture that you're in, in the house and, and feeling, um, a bunch of different things because of the situation that you were in. And what was the story at school? Were you, uh, were you considered smart by the teachers or at least did your friends recognize that you were witty? I mean, how did that all go for you? I think it changed over time. I think at first the teachers hated me because I would just make crass jokes for attention. And then at a certain point, I just, it was low self-esteem and wanting to be noticed. You know, it's always been that. And then you know, when I got to like 11th, 12th grade, my grades started to get really good. And, and I, it was more like I was trying to make the teachers laugh than try to make the class. I was trying to make yeah. like everyone laugh instead of like, what do you think caused that shift? I think just doing better in school and growing up a little bit. I think also like I had this one teacher, Dr. Lynn, who was like the funniest dude. Like he's just a, like a Southern guy with like a thin upper body and then a huge beer gut like giant and bifocals (laughs) and a mustache. And he got like, I would just be silly with him and he would just say shit like, like Sam get out. And I would, I was a bad kid. I would lift my legs up and fart and he would be, and he would laugh and then throw me out of class. So at a certain point, right. He was on, I remember like there was one point, so we're at Browning. It's on the, the school's on the Upper East side and uh, we're across from the Regency hotel. So we have a whole view of all the, the entire hotel and all the blinds are open all the time. We just see a naked woman and he's in the middle of a lecture. And I remember I just stood up and I yelled tits. <laughs> no, and you did not. I did. And he, and he just was like, he turns and sees it and then turns back to me and he laughs. But of course he kicked me out. And it was like that. It was like, he, I think he enjoyed our dynamic where it was like, he was, I was like the troublemaker and he had put me in my place. But he, I remember one, one moment he said in class, he said, you know, I think you're going to be successful in whatever you do because you're, you're, he says, I'm like, you're smarter than you let on. Like you, I think I had to play up that I was, I thought I was like dumber because that was how I felt in my family sometimes, you know? So I think that was the role I, I took on. That's pretty awesome. Like to actually have somebody say that, you know, I tweeted this thing out the other day that like, um, all sorts of people responded to and retweeted about, um, how like nowhere in my educational life did I had a great drama teacher and that was great, but no other, but nowhere in my educational life did anybody ever say to me, you could be a writer. They would just always say to me, you know, for someone so smart, you're such an idiot. Basically they would only mention that I was smart in literally in the same sentence. They were telling me why they wanted to kick me out of school. Honestly, like that was my life. And so 
if I could have had someone cleanly say to me, you're going to be successful, like my parents did, as I was lucky in that in the house, everyone did. But outside of the house, nobody did like that at, at school. So that must have felt pretty good. Like you're remembering it now. I imagine you're in 10th grade that it landed for you what he yeah. said. Oh, yeah, yeah. It meant a lot to me because I, I thought he thought I was dumb too. Uh, so that that meant a lot. And then- um, Did that contribute to you like grind, starting to grind a little bit at school? Like what made you decide to grind a little at school? Do you want to get into college? Like, what yeah, was that, was, that was a big part of it. My mom was like, you're not going to get into a good school if you don't, if you don't figure it out. So that, that was a big part of it. And then, I mean, but it was all low self-esteem. I remember my first joke when I was like 18 was- uh, my English teacher told me I reminded her of a young Hemingway and I said, because I'm a good writer. And she said, no, I think you're an alcoholic who's going to kill himself. That was like 18, <laughs> my first joke. It was like, that's low self-esteem, right? I, when I was in, we had a health class and uh, I remember that the teacher was, it, she was a nurse teaching it. And uh, I remember just bombing a joke. So I ended doing a bit about this at some point. I forgot the bit exactly, but it was like, she was talking about testicular exams and I, uh, I raised my hand in the class and I said, uh, my doctor gave me a testicular exam and he, uh, he just kept his hand down there and played with my penis. And she, and she was like, is that true? And I, I, I it was clearly me being, and it wasn't funny. I was just trying to like be sure. And I just said, I just panicked. So I said, yes. And, uh, no, you did not. I did. I did. And then I had to talk to her after class and tell her it wasn't true. But in the bit, I, I remember saying something like, instead of admitting that I told a shitty joke, I decided to incriminate a pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Incriminate a pediatrician. That's a really good example of what you do with words. That's so great. I mean, obviously you think about words so much. Even that Hemingway joke at 18 is very, it's the subject matter sophisticated, but also the word choice is really good. Um, like I feel the same way about your suicide. Writing, I love, I love on billions, how you have like Paul Giamatti reading Raymond Chandler. I'm like, man, everything about, I love that. Like, I mean, I love Raymond Chandler. So I get happy when I see, when I see him reading the long goodbye or whichever book he has picked up on, on billions. Yeah. And, and you guys make such, I mean, I feel like the dialogue of every character on that show just kind of sings. I love it. We're so specific. Thank you for saying, but yeah, Dave and I are just super specific about all that stuff. I mean, it's similar, honestly, to like, I mean, Gull and I talk about this stuff a lot. Like if you're given the opportunity, like Dave and I are given the opportunity to make this show. How do you squander it by without at least trying your very hardest to make every moment as special as you can? It's like the same thing of getting up on stage. Like, you know, you getting up on stage, you have this 15 minutes or this 20 minutes. Yeah. Where where it's your, they're all looking at you and you get to imprint upon them what's in your brain. Like, I completely understand why comedians spend that much time on incriminated pediatrician, like <laughs> the rhythm of the, the meter. No, right. It's meter. It's yeah. the way it feels. It's, it's, um, it's not just the, it's the words, the way the words go together it, what they add up to and how satisfying it must just feel so satisfying to you when you lock one of those in Yeah, and you're like, well, that can't be any better. That, that, that little piece of it's nailed, right? Yeah, it feels really, really good, and and it's you kind of know usually because sometimes you're like oh, that word's like that's that word sounds kind of pompous. I, I would never just say that in conversation. The word's got to be something you would say in, in conversation, but then also if you could find like like those the amount of syllables for some reason is just is just good in that joke. It just works. write a lot of songs like during the pandemic i've just been writing songs a lot and i've been writing with a the other day i wrote with this guy who's a uh, a really important 
country music songwriter guy. I won't say his name now. He didn't tell me to or whatever. But the, the way that he would sweat over literally one word in the second verse of a song, and he would go walk, walk put his guitar down, lean back on his couch and just go, I'm going to set a minute. I got to think. And he was just like, you know, we're Zoom, we're like over Zoom and I'm looking and is did he fall asleep? And then he comes back and he's like, no, it should be this, not that. And and it was just like the grinding. And I was like, I understand exactly why that dude has written 25 fucking number one songs because yeah. most people would have just blown through it. And that guy was sitting there and he didn't care how long it took. He, he wasn't going to say the verse was done until the exact right word was in there. And, and I, I find the older I get, the more artists I know, the more I respect people who not let writer's block win and don't do the work, but who in the doing of the work hold themselves before it's finished to a really high standard. And I've talked to you about this stuff, and I think you're the same way when you watch comedians, right? I am. I also think that content is kind of killing that, that quality thing. The need for content is really bad for kind of what you're talking about right now, which is, you know a perfect joke or a perfect song, people's appetite is it's just in and out. Now, everything you make is, it just seems like that. I I heard that Spotify CEO say something along the lines, you know, and he's not the guy to be saying this, but something along the lines of like artists who make a a record every three to four years, it's their own fault. They're not making money. But like, there is some truth to that. We're like, yeah, right now there is a, a, a need I mean, Louis was a guy of our generation who started putting out an hour every year, year and a half. And I feel like that was kind of ahead of its time because, you know, he's one of the only guys who, who would do it well. But, man, it's hard to it's hard to put out great stuff that quickly. And that's kind of where we're at right now, I think. But don't you think it depends on what your um, what your what your aims are? Like you want to be famous and you want to be successful and you want to make the money at it. But it all, it certainly seems to me like you're like, you're playing a slightly different game. Like, yeah, you're, you're letting your content get cut up and put out and all that stuff. And, and you said like, and, and, and that comedy seller live thing worked really well for you, but I felt like you were still grinding to make those jokes work. I worked really hard on those jokes. Yeah, I, 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 I love writing topical jokes that I feel that like anyone can laugh at. That's kind of the thing. A lot of comics now, it's hard to write political jokes or jokes about a social issue that don't have a bias. That's, you know, that that's funny to red state and blue state. That's that's kind of the challenge now is like I want my jokes to bring people together. I don't want like, of course, I'll have jokes here and then that'll like divide people up because you can't bat a thousand. But like it's so easy to pander or, or let your emotions get caught up in a joke when it's that new. I think sometimes jokes that you're passionate about need room to breathe. And and with those types of jokes or that type of show, you don't have that time. I love what you just said, though, about the red blue thing. Because, like, obviously, you know where I stand politically and all that stuff. But, like, uh, I, I came across a Ron White bit the other day. And I was so – I laughed my ass off. And I was so glad that I laughed my ass off at at someone who – I don't know his politics, but I just can't imagine that we share much in terms of worldview. <laughs> just going by his white suit. <laughs> just you know, going by the whole thing. I don't, I don't think that we're seeing much the same. But I love the idea that he could – his bid about getting pulled over by a cop for drunk driving. And it just had me howling. And I did think um, – that's the beautiful thing about comedy when it's done, the, you know, the right way. It just cuts across all of it because you, 
if you're fucking laughing, you're laughing. And then when you're laughing, you also can't help but like the person making you laugh. And I like thought I had the whole thought in my head, exactly what you're saying, which is it's a great thing when that stuff sort of like nails it in that way. Yet you want the comedy to be about something, I think, too, right? Absolutely. But Ron White is a great example because I, I agree with you what you're saying. And there's something lost. Like Twitter has no nuance, right? Someone posts a joke and people just assume the absolute worst. Whereas I hear when you hear when you see Ron's face and you hear his delivery, you assume the best. Yes. Right? right. I mean, you assume empathy and all sorts of stuff. That's totally. why. That's why just seeing the word written, it's like, man, Twitter. It's so toxic. Ron has a bit I love about cheating on his wife, and it's one of the funniest bits I've ever heard. And he opens the bit by saying, uh, "My wife got this crazy little idea that I cheated on her in Columbus." And I didn't, I'll tell you why. And it just kills, like the way he says that. <laughs> I mean, and then he tells a story and you're like, hey, I get, I get, I look, I, I'm not going to condone that, but you get it. And, and, and it's, you build a character, it's you, but it is a bit of a character because you're performing and, and people connect to you because it's like, so how often do we see people on social media where you're like, that guy's a fucking asshole on Twitter, but I know him and I like him when I see him. And that's because... I just think social media really brings out the worst in us. It certainly can bring out like the most strident parts in us or the parts it, it it's an outrage machine. Yeah. But I also find it too easy to slam on it. And like a lot of good stuff has come out of it for me. Connection like I, without social, like I feel you and I know each other much better because of social media. Right. I'm not saying everybody is bad on social media, but I do think it brings out the worst often. You know, I, I, I can't say it yeah. brings out the worst yeah. of everybody. I think you are like posting people like you or Josh Gondelman post positive stuff that actually makes me feel better, you know, but not everyone's like that. He's nicer. Let me just be clear that he's nicer than I am. There's no, <laughs> I just, I don't want to, I don't want to try to claim that I'm uh, as sainted a person as Josh Gondelman. Because well, look, I, Josh is I, nice I mean, on Twitter, but he is a raving lunatic in real life. You know? <laughs> I mean, Sam Morell calls Josh Gondelman a prick on Compliment <laughs> Podcast. No, the best, the best guy, obviously. The nicest guy, like, has to be the nicest of all the comedians, basically. Yeah, amazing guy. Uh, pretty much. So you're 18, you start studying for school more. Yeah. You're, I became Are you thinking stand up. I became completely obsessed. Like I, I thought I was going to be a different type of comedian when I was younger. I thought I was going to be like more of a, what does that mean? Like I thought I'd be like, maybe I was like, maybe I could be like a comedic actor. And then I became obsessed with writing and it became all about Greg Giraldo and Dave Attell and Chris Rock and, right. and Rodney Dangerfield and Carlin and Pryor. And I, uh, we had like a locker room with a, with a boom box and I would connect uh, I don't even know if it was like a mini disc player or whatever I right. had at the time. And it would be like, what grade is this, Sam? Like what grade is this? 11th or 12th probably. And um, so 11th and 12th grade, you're, you're starting to listen to all those albums became obsessed with jokes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I went to comic strip and Caroline's a couple of times. I saw Pat Oswalt and David tell at uh, Caroline's and both of those were, were huge for me. Um, Attell was funny in a way I'd never seen. It blew my, it blew my mind. Um, and then I saw Bill Burr and Kevin Brennan, a comic strip, and they were both so funny. And uh, I became obsessed with it. And I finally, you know what happened? The first, the first uh, hint I got was, or the first taste I got rather was uh, w for the last three weeks of school, the assignment was 
you have to do either type of community service or you have to do some sort of work, but it has to be volunteer based. And instead of coming to school. So my project was, I was just a gym coach at uh, Alan Stevenson on the Upper East Side. They needed a gym coach. Nice. And, I, and I was just, I loved it. I loved it so much. And uh, I had so, I ended up doing a summer job with them. I think two summers, I loved it. And uh, it was such a good gig. And I turned, we all had to give a speech for the whole school about our experience. And I just wrote a stand-up routine about it. I just made it, <laughs> and they already liked, it was a bullshit fluke of killing because everyone in that room wanted me to succeed because they already thought I was funny. So that's, this is what young comics will ask me a lot. They're like, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, well, you, you got, you're ready. You, your friends think you're funny because they're your friends. They love you. Right. You now have to show you're funny to strangers and you have to show much more quickly. You don't get that built in. I can fuck up and win them back. Uh, <laughs> courtesy laugh. Well, so what happens? So you get, so you get up at your school assembly at yeah. Browning and do yeah. at, at the assembly. Yeah. And you destroy. I and you're a senior. You're a senior and you destroy. I kill. And then my friends were like, I think you can do this. I really do think like you've got timing. You're, you're funny. And I felt really good. It, it was one of those. Yeah, I was going to say, what did it feel? What did it feel like, Sam, being up there and doing that? So funny. So, all right. My teacher, Mr. Ingrisani, who's my English teacher, was such a good teacher. Uh, like introduced me to some of my favorite books ever to this day, you know, it was such a, such a great teacher. And he, uh, he, I got off stage and he said, you're really good. He's like, you are a really funny guy. And then I went back to speak at Browning last year, uh, to give like a, they asked me to do an interview and they said, well, could a teach, is there any teacher who could interview? And I said, Mr. Ingrisani. So he interviewed me. So that was a weird, awesome. like kind of, awesome coming together that and he was so did you remind him that he had said that to you he didn't remember at all for, for me it was a big moment <laughs> but for him he was like what what are you talking about uh really yeah he yeah. didn't remember you doing that stand-up comedy or he did i think he like vaguely remembered it uh right. there have been a lot of a lot of a lot of kids coming through he's frisked a thousand young punks basically. he was like you know what the, some kid i don't remember you but a kid a year after had like a prior effect on the crowd. And I was like, really? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, he, he was great. Uh, he, uh, so he interviewed me and that, that was big. And then I was like, I don't know what to do next. I remember I met Pat Oswalt after a show at Caroline's. I just lingered till he came out <laughs> and I said, right. Uh, and you know, I've never told Pat in this, uh, but he said, I said, what do I do? I don't know what to do to, to do what you do. How do I do it? And he just, I was that articulate. And he said, yeah, that's uh, awesome. He said, email me and I will respond to you. And he gave me his email. And then he also said, and do every open mic you can in the meantime. And he did He did respond to me and I started doing mics and they were horrible. They were absolutely like not good in any way. You started doing mics. So did you get into, what college did you get into then? I was, I was going off to Tulane, but I was a freshman for Katrina. So that was an issue, obviously. Right. Uh, so I, I had done at this point, I'd done a couple of mics and I did it. I took the class, the comic strip, Joe Mackey, who's still one of my close friends, right. was in the class with me, which is insane that it just, did Linda uh, Smith teach it. Who taught it? DF Swedler, who, who was great. He really was, uh, you know, he, he could be a curmudgeon, but he also was generous and kind and he, and he stayed that way. I've, I've always. Only so wait, so you took, so I want to go slow here. You took the, so you're 18, you graduate yeah. high school. You're like. I think I have to try to do this. Yeah, I want. Patton Oswalt says, "Do a bunch of open mics." You know, open mics freak me out. They always did. I did a lot of them too. But w talk about what that was like as a kid, 
as you looked around, did you did you have blinders on so that you 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 wouldn't think to yourself, God, I could become one of these people? Like because there's usually only one other kind of sane person in an open mic. Right. Yeah, it's tough. You, you're just like, holy shit. I uh, I guess I've had good parents and a sheltered life in a lot of ways because you look around <laughs> the mic and there's like dudes in like battle fatigues and you're just like, what? This guy definitely didn't serve in the army, uh, but he's you know he's nuts. And then uh, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of uh, weirdos at the mics and just speaking. I mean, the worst part of the mic isn't even bombing. It's the amount of bad comedy you have to listen to. Yes. Yes. So and then the and then the bombing or not bombing but that sort of like just disregard that happens a lot of the time. Were you able to get laughs at the mic? Not not often. The problem with me was, you know, I was very jokey at the mics and I think the people that killed at the mics were the ones who were either shitting on how bad the mics were, shitting on other comics or whatever, or the people who would act like everything was coming off the top of their head, you know? And I'm just yeah. like, my punchlines were obvious. So if I killed, I would really kill. But if I bombed, it was it was horrible. It was really horrible. Um, yeah, once or twice when I was doing mics, like at stand-up in New York, like some tourist happened to walk in at six o'clock <laughs> and like that table would be all you would I would look at. And basically, if you could just get one or two of them to laugh once or twice, I would feel like, well, that was just a gigantic win. That Huge. was amazing. Huge. Yeah, and also the the real people laughs sometimes felt like more than the comic laughs because the comics would sometimes they would just laugh at the most dark, awful shit. And you're like, well, I'm trying to like have a career in this. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to kill only in Long Island City at this coffee right. shop. Uh, but yes, it, so that so you would do a couple of those mics and they didn't make you feel good. Basically, it was painful. Yeah, and then I remember one mic I did. Gary Veter, who's one of my good friends now, was on the mic right. and no one pays attention. You're just all miserable. You're you're looking at your own notes and Gary's bombing with really funny jokes. He's they're good jokes and he's bombing and he's it's at Maui Taco in uh 30 something street in Herald Square. Uh not bragging. But he uh <laughs> he he's bombing so hard and he just turns to me and he goes, yeah. Look at this asshole. He's not even listening. <laughs> and I was just like, What? That's how you met? That's, that's how you how guys we, met? That's how we met the next night. My co-host at the time booked him on our bar show and I was like, oh, hey. And he's like, hey, sorry. And I was like, I get it. I mean, we all we all break down at these mics. No, that. Um, well, those bonding experiences with I mean, you know, Soder and I and Joe Alexander, Dan's friend, the three of us did a bunch of mics together in the early days. And that bonded Dan and me forever. Yeah. Just going through that experience. You need a buddy. I always tell young comics, you need a mic buddy because you don't want to go in there alone. You just, it, it, just having a buddy, it not only drives you to write, but it also just drives you to like, it's. it's well, then like, you have somebody you're trying to make then. Cause I remember then those nights where if I could get Dan, if, you know, if I would be done and like Dan or Matt Ruby was there a lot too. And if one of those two guys would be like, oh, that setup's pretty good. Or that punchline that you would go, all right, something. Or, or it's also was great when you would just, when I would just, just totally bomb, you know, just one of those times where you just bomb and it's, it's not even the audience. It's just your fault. Like you just suck. Yeah. And I loved those nights when I would come off and I'd look at Dan and he would just look at me like, God damn, that was horrible. And yeah. it just makes you feel so much better. Right. Uh, in a way. That yeah. And it also like, it, you kind of take your, your licks, you know, like watching, there's something like you would, you admire your friends more when they kind of bomb gracefully and every once in a while bomb <laughs> horribly, you know, you're not going to always bomb gracefully, but like, I remember seeing, in the early days, it seemed like Mark Norman bombed, but he kind of kept his composure. And I was like, 
Oh, that was cool. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you feel closer to them for sure. When you, I remember all the comics I barked with on the street, and you're like, yeah, I feel closer to them for sure. You do, right? So, 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 how did it t- talk about just the beginning of how how it happened? So, you're doing these mics. You you write Patton, and what did Patton do? Point you to, to certain um, shows that people were doing in the city? He, he just, no, he didn't know any of the mics because he was an LA guy. He just really encouraged me. That's all it was. He just said, "Keep doing mics and write as much as you can." And that's really kind of what it became. And, and wait, uh, you're saying you never told him? You mean he doesn't know you were that kid who wrote him? You don't think? No, I don't know Patton well. Uh, I'm, I mean. We we DM here and there on Twitter, but I, I don't know him well. Um, but you don't think he's connected that you're that like you're special as that kid who came up to him? I bet you he knows. He's no dummy. I don't think so. He must I, know. You think he remembers a, uh, just a random person? Who, all the gigs he's done? I don't think so. But you wrote him and he wrote you back. I'll, I'll do you one better. I, I still have – I've done The Road and opened for Dave Attell and uh, many times. You know, with, I've worked with Dave for a long time. He's probably been the most supportive person in my career yes. and and I have an autographed playbill still at home from Caroline's from Mattel. And he, you didn't tell him? I, he would fucking, he would just be, he would cringe. I remember we were driving once and. Oh, okay. But you know, someone's going to tell him now, right? You just said it on here. Have you said <laughs> I mean, it on your podcast? Have you said uh, it on your own podcast? I don't think so. No, but I, I, with Dave, <laughs> I, I mean, I've been in a car with him where he's like, I think he said to me, we were just talking comics and he, and it, we're driving and he, uh, he, he, I said, who are your favorite comics when you were, you were a young guy? And he said, Bill Hicks and Alan Havey. And he, and he said, how about you? And I said, I said, uh, you and Geraldo. And I could just see him just like, Oh fuck. Like he just, he can't take the compliment. <laughs> I think it just made, I, I, he, was, he couldn't get away because he was driving. So normally he would like walk away. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that about Havey. Havey was the best comedian in New York. He He's was, so he funny. Stagger. You just have, He's still the fun, but you just have no idea what he was able to do back yeah. then. It was insane. Because, you know, John Stewart says the same thing, that Alan's the best single set he ever saw was Alan. Wow. Selling. And, yeah, he said John Stewart said that like in Vanity Fair magazine or something. It's wow. true. It's the truth. It was, yeah, Alan was, you, he would just tear the fucking roof off the place. So... What happens? Walk me through how you end up passing in the city and what the journey was like for you. Did you go off to Tulane? I did. I I, I got there and after a couple of days, uh, they were like, it's going to be a small storm, you know, just get a hotel. And, uh, and they were like, oh, <laughs> Katrina, good job. Uh, so then I was back in the city and I, I, how did you get out? Wait, how did you get out, Sam? What happened? My family was with me luckily. And we had so funny. I had the, my roommate at Tulane who turned out to be like the worst roommate on the planet. Uh, they drove us to, uh, Houston from new Orleans. And then we flew back and we flew out of Houston. That's how we got home. And then I went to school in the city and just kind of kept barking and doing that stuff. I was at Columbia for that term because anyone would accept a Tulane student. We were like America's sweethearts, you know, with the displaced Tulane kids. But So you were able to, you were still getting a Tulane degree, but at Columbia. Yeah. And then I ended up going back to Tulane and, uh, I now was obsessed with standup and after Katrina, there was nowhere to get up in Tulane. So that, that was difficult for me. Um, cause I, I didn't want to be like, well, you know, I'm also just such a New Yorker in the city. I love New Orleans to visit, but it's such a slow pace to that city. Like it's, everything is right. like so slow. And-, and you couldn't do your thing, right? It was tough. It was definitely, it became tough. And then I ended up looking for school. I was like, maybe I can transfer to, I am getting an NYU and I went back to New York and, uh, 
was was the time on stage? So I, I want to just be granular about one thing. So, like I often talk about the fact that when when, when I was working full time, but Dave and I were writing the first script, those two hours of the day, I just felt so alive. It made me know, like, I have to do this other thing. And yeah. So, like, what was it? The writing of like back then, how did you write? Like, what was the process like for you? Okay, you couldn't get up on stage all the time. Then you started to like, what? How did you organize yourself to? Right. A lot of guys want to be a comedian, but you had to be right. So how did you, so what did you do to make that a reality? Like, what did you write? Like, how did you get better? Like, just talk a bit granularly about what that process was. Well, I write the same way I write now. It was just in a word document or with a notepad on my back, in my back pocket. I would just kind of scribble thoughts all day and I would just write. And when I was at Tulane, I was a freshman and there was this guy, Joe Schwartz, who was a senior, who's actually an agent at UTA now. And, uh, he was kind of dabbling in comedy, but I could tell he didn't really want to be a comic, but he would drive me to the open mic. I mean, I can't drive. So he would drive me to the open mic every week. And, uh, it was awesome. It was so nice of him. And even when he wouldn't go up, he's like, I just want to be around comedy, which I thought was so cool. And, uh, Oh yeah, it's awesome. So I would do the mic and the mic, there was one good mic a week in new Orleans. I did it every week, but it's like, you know, it's one night a week. You're not, for me, I wasn't even treading. And was the hope to get was the hope to then get noticed and and pass at that club and be able to get on stage at that club? It wasn't even a club. There was a club, but it shut down after Katrina. So it was just a. It was called Lucy's Retired Surfer Bar. It wasn't even a club, and it was just no. I was like, let me just get better. It, I had no aspirations. Like, I mean, that's the one good thing I'll say about a lot of time. Comedy classes are a scam, but when I took DF's class at the Strip, like. He didn't make any promises. A lot of those teachers would be like, you'll get on, uh, you'll get a tape for Letterman in six months. And it's just like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're lying to people. Right. But, but no, I, my goals were really like, how can I get really good at this? Those were really my goals. And how would you write? You said with a word document, but what was the, like, were you okay at the Jerry Seinfeld thing? I'm setting aside two hours or was it I'm walking around and when I have an idea, I'll write it down and then I'll open the document. Like, how did you start to collect your thoughts that became jokes both i would write i would walk around and i would usually have a a, a decent amount of thoughts by the end of the day and then i would write all those thoughts i would transfer them from the notepad to a word document and then it's like you're seeing them in a different form so you that kind of changes how you look at them a little bit as opposed like now they're typed i can edit them a little more easily and i would just build bigger and bigger documents and i would run them by friends i'd be like because i couldn't get on stage enough so I'd be like hey is this funny i i had a bunch of great friends at tulane who were like you know i and i i would do gigs there at two, occasionally but the friends were supportive and then would you um continue to because your jokes are so specific word wise uh, you're writing them out like a lot of people early on. The mistake is just reading them exactly. Like, how did you learn? Right? You know what I mean? That's a real mistake. The memorizing yeah. them and just like saying them. So, did you fall into that trap, or, or were you able to know I got to be loose with it and then try to lock it? Like, how did that all come well, together? That that it's you really can't fake it, or at least I wasn't a good enough actor to fake it. I think those people that become too attached to the written word and and it sounds so not conversational. That's just a lack of stage time. I think. I think. You know, because then even the people that are doing it completely written, like Jezelnik, there's such a strong persona yes. and he has all these funny tags. I mean, so yes, the people that keep well, that guy's a mad that guy is a master of the form of the thing he does. I do think he's a master. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, no one's better at the at the left turn than than Jezelnik. Yeah, he's great at it. And and or some take someone like Stephen Wright. I mean, that's 
they're that's what they do or, or you know Hedberg or whoever you want to look at yeah you you even if you keep it somewhat written they find a way to inject enough of their character or, or themselves into the joke that it doesn't feel that way so that's just that's just reps and time but yours has this confessional quality to it right even if it's not all real confessional it's like confessional your thing is a storytelling jokes right that's why you're different than those guys uh certainly than Hedberg or or whatever and and so how did you, would you write down paragraphs or would you just write down yeah. sort of like the set, the loosely, the set, how would you do it? Yeah, I've written down long, I've written down like some of, now I do it a little less, but I still will write bullet points for stories where I, so I know, so I don't forget punchlines. Uh, but yeah, I've talked to comics about, I remember I asked Jim Jeffries once cause he had this 24 minute bit about, uh, about taking a childhood friend with muscular dystrophy to a brothel. And I thought it was such an incredible bit. And I was like, man, how do you do <laughs> yeah. that? Do you write it down? He goes, what, I'm going to write down 24 pages? Of course not. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't know. So so how do, what do you do, though? What do I do? I, I write it down, or at least I did. I, I mean, with stories and, now, I, I, I mean, I kind of do more bullet pointy, but I still write down a lot. I write down and I- You still write down those, like when you have a, a specific exact punchline, you will still write it down. And then the work on stage is to make it feel conversation. When you're, when you're going on a, you know, on a Tuesday night early set just to fuck around, yeah. you're trying to just make those things that you've written conversational and then road test them, basically make sure- Hey, uh, there's no better way to say it. Will you still make changes on the fly if you find a funnier way to say the thing? Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what all those sets are for. I mean, if I was doing one like theater gig instead of five nights at a club or four, five shows at a club, then yeah, maybe. But like, yeah, when you're doing that many reps, you go crazy saying the exact same word. So you do make minor changes every set. And you'll add a tag, like if a tag shows, if like you're saying something, even though you've written it and- an idea shows up, like suddenly, you know, another punchline comes and an additional tag, you'll just throw, throw it out there and try it. Absolutely. Yeah. I've done it a bunch. I had a, I had a joke about like, uh, like a, like how the male G spots in the butt, very high, highbrow joke here, but, uh, yeah. I had a joke about it. And, uh, it I was, think that was actually originally Dick Cavett's joke. <laughs> uh, I, but I remember I had a joke yeah. about it and I think that it was like a recent joke. And I, and one of the lines was yeah. like, uh, it's like, uh, just like, not too much, just a hint. I was like, like, it's, I think the riff was like, uh, and I didn't write this. It was like, 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 like Tostito's hint of lime that much, just a hint. You know? <laughs> and that was a, like off the, I had a lot of lines like that. Uh, so the, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of my new stuff is you write it, but I also didn't want to give myself the safety net of having old material to fall on. So I would do all new stuff on the road after my hour came out and, some some things fail, but then sometimes you find really you develop a new hour so much more quickly. And and do you do the thing where like if a if a friend of yours uh, has a tag for you, do you guys talk? Do you still do that thing that a lot of comedians who I'm friends with do? Or or like if you hear a buddy of yours do a joke, you know, will you say, "Hey, have you thought about this?" and go back sure. and forth on tags? Or do people do that less now? I don't know. I I think it's just if it's your friend, uh, y you do it. But I I don't I don't know if everyone wants that, but I'll do it sometimes. Like, Oh, that's a great line. Have you thought this? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that sometimes. I've had people do it to me sometimes. I usually, it's usually, I usually don't take it. 
I mean, unless it's amazing. And then I, even then I'm like, if it's that good, I kind of don't want it, you know, because it's not mine. Really? Is it annoying to you if somebody, is it annoying to you when someone does that and gives you a tag? Like, no, even a, I'm not, I think you know, someone you love. No, they mean well. I, I, Louis gave me a tag once that was like a, one of the best tags ever. And I used it. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, I've used, I've used tags for sure, but, uh, I, I right. like to, I like to think of it myself. I do run bits by comics sometimes though. And I'm like, sometimes I'll have a joke that's like right there and I'm like, what am I missing? I just need another pair of eyes on it. And, and they do the same to me. That's great. That's an awesome thing to do. So yeah. one thing I'm, I'm obsessed with is how much I can't stand gatekeepers and your store, your, you know, gatekeepers who are like the people who decide you get to have a special, you don't, or the people who decide, you know, your movie's going to get made, your script sucks. Like I've always yeah. felt that these people uh, very often, you know, some people are really good at it, but I've always felt many people are just there to say no. And I love stories of people who kind of like refuse or or when that game is played on them, play a different game. So can you just tell the story of how you decided to make your special and what happened? Like, just tell the whole thing, like sure. where you thought was going to happen, what your ambition was. And 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 because you took a big risk, right? So yeah. I, I just would love to have you just talk it out. Well, you know, other comics have done what I've done, but I, I think like not, not as many who have already, uh, sold specials, you know, like I had, I sold my last one to comedy central, Amy Schumer produced, I did my half hour with comedy central with an album that I did. Uh, I did my second special with comedy central as well. Amy Schumer produced it, which it's like talking about gatekeepers. That's how you have to kind of circumvent the, the biz these days. You get someone like at right. Amy's fame level, right. To, to put their stamp to say this person's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, you know, I thought that was, you know, but the frustration with that is comedy central has been amazing and I'm, I'm so grateful for every opportunity they've given me, but unfortunately not a lot of people watch cable anymore. And you know, I, it got buried. It just, they all get buried. These specials, if they're not on Netflix or, or, you know, on a streaming device that people watch, you know, so that, that, was pretty painful to put out something I was proud of. And then, right. uh, and then just be like, wow, it didn't really make a huge impact on the road until I just illegally cut up the clips myself and started sharing them. And I was like, wow, that's helping me. How is this working? And the, it's so, I mean, everything's backward now, right? You mean you would cut up your special and put it on your Instagram because it was before TikTok, right? So you yeah. put it on your Instagram. I put it on Instagram and yeah, it was, that's how people saw it. You know, I, I get people, I had way more people following me just based off clips. Uh, unfortunately, I think the only difference, with, I mean, they're not quite as invested as if they had watched the full special. Someone who see me for two minutes is not as invested as someone who watched me for like 56, right? So that's the, sure, one, yes. that's the one issue with that. But um, I did start doing a little better on the road from that. Now, my next hour, I was even more, I'm like, this is a more mature hour. I like the bits even more. I think I'm, a, you know, you, you continue to grow a little bit as a, as a human and, and as a comic. And I, I liked, I really was happy with this hour. I saved the closure. They wanted me to do it in my last Comedy Central special. And I'm like, so why? So I can give you an hour 10 and you air 42 minutes. Uh, right. Makes no sense. Uh, so I held on to it and I kept tweaking it. And I'm so glad I held on to it. And that's the white knight story, which is the end of it. I started. That's amazing. I started amazing trying to story. tell a true story. I started trying to tell. Is my, the end of that story true? The no, end of that story is true. Is the only untrue part where he reaches out because right. I, I yeah. needed an ending. But uh, 
Sure. And it's just like that no real ending would have been as satisfying as But you've so wait, you've never heard from him. Did he contact you after that special aired? No. Yeah, no, 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 he didn't. He contacted me the night after. Like he that was true. I, I can't find the email, but it's completely true. His name was Joshua. Um so that's all right. No, no, but I'm saying has he contacted you since the special since since you've now told that story on the internet, has he contacted? No, you? he hasn't. Which is a bummer. Amazing, but uh, amazing would have been a, would be a great that'd be a great story there. But so anyway, yeah, I I'm feeling pretty good about this hour. I'm telling my agent, I'm like, man, this is really killing on the road. I think it's my best stuff. And and she said, uh, well, why don't we run it at the Comedy Cellar? We'll run it in L.A. for all the exec people. And I said, great, let's do it. Uh, I I do that goes great. Do it. Comedy Central's there, and they're like, we can't buy it because we don't. They had like four specials a year now, and they'll probably have less starting in a minute. And they uh, they already picked them, so they were like, "It's we really liked it, but we, we can't do it." So you know, it was a nice rejection. HBO kind of similar shit, where they were like, they kind of teased me a little. They were kind of like, "We're in," or not "We're in," but like we're really interested. And then it was like three weeks, and they weren't. They they passed. Oh, uh, which was, it was so painful. I remember so I was with Stavros right after pod don't lie when I got that oh. call and I was, he could just see me sink and he like gave me a hug, you know? Oh, it's and such that, a sad th- feeling. And yes. then, uh, and that hurts. I was like, I can see this being an HBO, uh, thing. And I told a tell and he goes, he goes, yeah, you don't have enough of a story. <laughs> uh. And then, uh, so then I'm in LA, you know, Netflix, Amazon, blah, blah, blah. And we, we do the tap dance. I do it at Dynasty Typewriter, sells out quickly. Amazing show. I'm so I'm so happy with how it went. Uh, nothing. And then my agent, I'm back in New York. She goes, you got to go to LA one more time. I, I refuse to believe that you can't sell this hour. And I said, fuck it, let's do it. So I go back out there, sell it out again. And again, nothing. And I was just like, just so, I felt so defeated. I felt like, what can I, it's like not about, like, did you know they were wrong, Sam? Did yeah. you know they were wrong? In, in my heart. Right. But then, of course, you have self. I mean, isn't it normal to have self-doubt? So, yeah, I, I, there was part of Well, me those things compete. For me, those things compete with each other. But then uh, over time, it sorts out and I know they're wrong or I know they're right in a way. So you knew you knew I have a really good hour and I'm watching people's reactions and like, this is the best I can do. And my friends think it's funny. So like, yeah. So then what's the next step? What's the next step? Well, I just was really hurt. Uh, and I, and I told my agent, I said, I'm going to shoot it myself. I, I refuse to, to wait on these people because, um, I know it's ready and I'm sick of the jokes and I'd like to move on. I think, I think when you hold on to jokes too long, it's, that's almost an admission of defeat, you know, because you're just telling jokes. You're, I mean, I'm not an actor. I'm a comic. I want, I want to move on. I want to continue to grow as a comic. And I think the longer you, you overcook that hour, the, the worse it is. So, uh, I mean, to a degree, you want to run it, but you don't want to overcook it. So, yeah, I, I mean, whatever. The old guy. There's different ways. Like, if you did it for five years, then it would be amazing in a different way. But yes, I agree with you. You want to be done. So, so what happens? So you say that to your agent, and what does she say? She said, uh, "I, I think that's a good idea." She kind of just supported it, and uh, and credit to her for, you know, for believing in something that made her zero money, right? So. Uh, then, but you put up, so you put up the money yourself or you raised it? I put it up myself. And then I, but it also, I made it all back pretty quickly because we charged the door at the cellar, uh, two sold out shows. So that helped the people I worked with took a pay cut. My, the editor was my buddy from Tulane, who I'm still good friends with Alon. Uh, the right. director was Jason Katz, uh, who 
who shot a sizzle reel for me, Mark Norman, and Joe List. We tried to sell a special, right. the three of us. And it's funny, we all released YouTube specials this year because we all got rejected. Yeah, I keep wanting um, to watch. I haven't watched Joe's yet, but Joe's oh, so funny. It's I'm incredible. Really Mark's funny too, but Joe's, yeah. I can't wait to watch Joe's special. They're both great. You're going to love them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was painful. It was, it was painful, but then it was also so, it, it was so, I was moved that these people wanted to be involved at a reduced rate. Uh, I right. used my set designer for my last special, who's like a big time set designer who was like, yeah, of course I'll be involved. Fuck it. Like, I don't even pay me. I want to just help. Uh, I mean, incredible guy. Uh, I don't want to say his name here cause I don't want other comics to bother him. Right. But, uh, right. cause he's already did me a solid, but, uh, he's an amazing dude. Uh, and then, you know, it kind of just came together and we shot in 4k in the attempt to still sell it. Uh, Cause that's, I guess that what, what all the streamers and everything were buying and, you know, we got a pass again, but then comedy center was like, we'll put it on our, we'll pay you to put it on our YouTube channel. You retain rights in a few years to put it. We just own it on YouTube. You still own the audio. So I got an audio deal and all that. And then, um, yeah, so they, they put it up and you know, it's, it's, it's at like, I think 3.6 million views in, in just a few months. So I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the no, it's unbelievable, and it's changed. I mean, has, I would imagine it's changed. Like, although you're not on the road now, but I would imagine that it has changed your profile, right? I don't know, but I, it's hard to tell, right? Because you you feel the love at the shows on the road. But I, yeah, I got a lot of messages. A lot of comics I admired wrote me a nice note about it. That that meant a ton. That that means so much. And and you know, you saying you you liked it means a lot. You know, I mean, it, well, it it, it really was. You stepped up and you did the thing. Like you did the thing. You. You didn't wait for the gatekeepers. You filmed it yourself. You found a way to get it up on YouTube through Comedy Central, basically yeah. yourself. And now like 4 million people, by the way, at 3.7, you can say 4 million. 4 million people have watched this, which only happens when people tell their friends to watch it and people share it on social media. And and it's in, in this day and age, that's the way that we decide who our favorite comedians are. And you're a lot of people's favorite comedian now. Well, and, I, and you, you just, the problem you know. with the road is like the road is really where you feel it. And I was like, man, I put this out for the road and that kind of, but then I'm also like, holy shit, I could have, I could have been sitting on this if I didn't force this out. So that would have killed me. So, I mean, to all the comics that were about to film something and, and this happened, holy, I mean, I can't imagine how frustrating that is. No, of course. The worst. Well, listen, dude, we're at our hour here. And I mean, there's so much more I wanted to ask you, but this has been great. I'm so glad people got to hear your story. I'm so glad that you're in a good space. Are you in LA or New York? I'm in New York right now. And are you and Taylor still living together or no? Well, I mean, we, I mean, she's in LA, but I, I'm planning on going back at some point. Right. Well, you, people should follow Sam on all sorts of social media. You get great peeks into his life and really funny stuff and uh, clips that are cut up that he's probably not allowed contractually to cut up. And um, follow him on, on Twitter too. And uh, really one of the funniest guys and a guy I always love talking to. Sam Morrell, thanks for doing this. Great talking to you. All right, and people, you can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. Sam, what's your Twitter? It's just Sam Morrell, M-O-R-R-I-L. All right, great. Uh, Everybody, I will see you next time.